Welcome to Find Your Niche, a career podcast offering advice that you can implement today, as well as career tips that will set you on a career path and help you to find your niche. I'm Lori Cole, certified career coach and job search advisor with iHire. iHire connects you to industry-specific jobs in over 57 talent communities. Find your niche today on iHire. Have you ever pondered what makes you unique in your professional life? Well, let me show you how to do this journey of self-discovery using cutting-edge tools like StrengthsProfile.com and ChatGPT. From unearthing hidden strengths to crafting a compelling value proposition, this segment is all about finding your inner unicorn. Here are the latest trends, topics, and tips that will help you in your job search. In the vast ocean of self-discovery tools and platforms, it's challenging to pinpoint which ones truly help you understand your unique qualities. Recently, I did a webinar with my coworker, Laura Wilhelm, about the seven ways to sell yourself in an interview, which is available to candidates in the Candidates Resource Center at iHire, by the way. And one of the questions Laura asked was, what makes you a unicorn in your professional life? I've never thought about this before, so I started a mission to find the tools that could help me answer that question. Of course, ChatGPT is my go-to, but I needed to feed it some information about my strengths before it could proceed with the value proposition. I was looking for tools that could actually give you results for free, and I finally found strengthsprofile.com. Let me tell you a little about this tool. Strengthsprofile.com is an online tool that gauges your realized and unrealized strengths, your learned behaviors, and your weaknesses. It promises a holistic view of your personal and professional attributes, and it did not disappoint. The cool part about this website is that you can go deeper and pay for a couple of different options beyond the free report if you like. So I proceeded to answer a series of thoughtful questions and the platform presented me with a comprehensive profile listing my strengths. My key takeaways is that my top strengths are innovation, optimism, creativity, being a change agent, a catalyst, and persuasion. While some of these strengths were already on my radar, others kind of came as a delightful surprise. For instance, I've always prided myself on my innovative capabilities. I hadn't fully recognized myself as a change agent or catalyst, though. Identifying my strengths was just half the battle, but I wanted to understand how they could connect and intertwine with each other and then be able to articulate that. So with my newly discovered strengths in hand, I turned to ChatGPT to craft my value proposition and find out exactly what makes me a unicorn. So here's the prompt I used. Your role is an expert strengths coach, and you are determining what makes me a unicorn based on the following strengths. Tell me how they are interconnected and why these strengths make me a unicorn. Innovation, optimism, creativity, change agent, catalyst, and persuasion. 
My first paragraph told me my strengths painted a vivid picture of a dynamic individual, someone who's truly a unicorn in both personal and professional arenas. Well, I'd like to think so, but that's enough with the flattery. Then we start to dive into how the strengths intertwine. My creative nature provided the raw materials for ideas, visions, and imaginative solutions. Then my innovation takes the helm, finds the concepts, and executes the vision. My optimism is the fuel for my projects, and that's really the truth. I am crazy optimistic, probably almost annoyingly so. Then my change agent and catalyst kick in and actively push to implement change and set up systems and processes. How does it know that? I am all about creating systems and processes to make things better. Now, how does this make me a unicorn? It says I'm equipped to envision groundbreaking ideas, transform them into actionable realities, motivate change in systems and thought processes, and ensure these changes are effectively communicated or embraced by a wider audience. All of this is underpinned by an unyielding belief in positive outcomes. Wow, that's extremely insightful, and it's pretty much me in a nutshell. Now, let's put this all together and turn it into a value proposition I can actually use. ChatGPT, please write a concise value proposition based on this content that I can use when I'm looking for a job or asking for a raise. And here's what we came up with. Equipped with a unique synergy of strengths, I combine creative vision with transformative action. I not only conceptualize groundbreaking ideas, but also drive them into tangible results, advocating and persuading others to embrace change. With an optimistic outlook, I deliver a holistic, adaptable approach, positioning me as an impactful asset in any forward-thinking organization. By merging the insights from Strengths Profile and the incredible capabilities of ChatGPT, I was handed a cohesive understanding of my unique value proposition in just a few minutes. I'm in awe of the insights that these tools provided, and I can't believe how they put them all together. I hope this gets you really excited about putting this concept to the test and discovering what makes you a unicorn. Today, we're joined by the remarkable Caitlin Maggotson, a clinical counselor and certified career coach who's been making waves in the Washington, D.C. metro area and beyond. From one-on-one therapy to executive coaching and leading small coaching groups, Caitlin's all about promoting growth, self-awareness, and well-being. Caitlin is skilled in using tools like Myers-Briggs and Strengths Finders. And if you've ever been to a well-being conference or worked in tech, finance, or healthcare, you may have crossed paths with her already. Get ready to dive deep into the world of mental health and personal growth. Let's hear from today's featured guests who has found their niche. Well, Caitlin, it's so good to have you today. Thank you so much for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So tell me what it is like to be a psychotherapist and and how you really came to this kind of a job. 
Yeah, you know, I I don't know that I always had a dream of being a psychotherapist. I I knew that I liked helping people. I actually studied in undergraduate in my undergrad, uh, I went to Elon University. I started uh, corporate communications. I initially thought I wanted to be like Katie Couric from the Today Show. I wanted to interview people. Oh. I thought she got to engage in interesting stories. But as I did that work, I, I felt that um, it wasn't as um, deeply meaningful in being able to support people in the way that I wanted to. So I actually switched my major to human services, which was somewhat like social work. Didn't know what I was going to do with that. So I ended up switching back to corporate communications and was going to figure it out. I did some volunteer work abroad and I I just, I felt like I want to help people have better lives. Um, so I, I thought, well, life coaches do that, right? And at the time I was only, you know, 22 and I thought, who's going to hire a life coach uh, without a whole lot of life experience or training? So I, I did some research. I did a bunch of informational interviews with helpers, if you will. I, I remember um, going into a high school to talk to a high school counselor. I talked with a therapist at a university. I talked with a woman in private practice who was a therapist but focused on career counseling. So um, it, it became clear to me as I did that research that the way that I wanted to help people was more with their inner world to help them feel seen and heard. I think in part my own story, I didn't always feel seen and heard as I was growing up. And so the ability to hold space and to help people gain more self-awareness and insight, it just, um, it's an honor to sit with people and hear their stories. So that's a little bit of my, my background. I ended up going to grad school at Johns Hopkins University for a master's in mental health counseling um, and then decided to do a little bit of uh, career coaching as well as therapy. So these are just different ways I, I get to help my clients develop in their lives. So you have a really diverse practice. Tell me about your practice and all of the different things that you do within it. Yeah. You know, my practice has evolved over time. And uh, I used to work at the business school at Johns Hopkins as a career coach for over seven years. And at the time I was building my private practice on the side part-time. I think a lot of times people say, I'm going to start my own business and they quit their jobs and they go all in. But it really took a lot of time to build client base and build services. So I had, I was doing career coaching uh, as I built my private practice. In my private practice, I provide one-on-one -on -one psychotherapy. So helping people who are experiencing anxiety, depression, just going through different life transitions, maybe feeling stuck or numb or disconnected from their lives in some way. Uh, I also provide career coaching and leadership coaching services. So I've worked with companies to work with their, their uh, leadership in, in developing more emotional intelligence and gaining greater you know, self-awareness so that they can improve in, in their areas of opportunity, if you will, for growth. And then career coaching, a lot of career changers. You know, we go through a lot of different career changes in our life. And uh, I, I guide people to do the inner work of getting kind of unstuck and clear as to what they want to do and then guide them in some of the tactical pieces of actually applying and branding themselves and telling their story to land a, a job that feels really aligned with who they are. I love also doing some coaching groups because when we're in community with one another, sometimes you know, people can feel like I'm the only person that doesn't have it all together. Or I don't know what I want to do and I'm alone. 
when I'm in community though, and I hear other people's stories, it can be such a rich experience. Um, so I love doing coaching groups and then also working with organizations to provide education through training and programming presentations on different mental health and well-being topics. So I love that I have a lot of diversity in the work that I get to do. And I'm, it's, it's always evolving. I, I ask myself a lot of the questions I ask my clients, you know, what, what enlivens you, what feels aligned, what feels exciting. And then I shift um, as, I, as I gain more insight in that. It's real. I love that you said there are areas of opportunities. Not, not like <laughs> this is where you need to get better. It's like this is an opportunity for you to really grow yes. in this area. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, with your practice, you can work anywhere you want. So, it gives you a lot of freedom. What does a typical day look like for you, and and how do you use that freedom? What what do you like to do in your spare time? Yes, yes. So, I was actually born and raised in the D.C. area. Uh, grew up right outside of D.C. in the suburbs of Maryland. I had an office in uh, downtown Bethesda, Maryland, where I worked with clients for many years in person. And then during the pandemic, everything went online. And uh, I decided to continue working with clients online. And and clients really appreciated it, especially in the D.C. area. Traffic can be very difficult. (laughs) So it'd be hard to find parking, things like that. And uh, I I decided that I would continue to keep it online and, uh, and travel a bit. So I've been living the nomadic life for the last few years. It's really important for me, especially in my work, to do a lot of, you know, intentional self-care, exercising, um, right? All all of these things because the energy that I bring to serve and support clients is so, it's so important and integral to the work. If I'm coming burnt out or I'm not, you know, focused or I'm not well-rested, then I can't fully show up and serve and support my clients. So I really put a lot of thoughtfulness into how I take care of myself. So a typical day, I usually get up, I usually take a a. 7am class at the gym. Sometimes I'll do some meditation, Uh, might take a walk outside just to kind of ground myself and prepare for the day. And then I will typically see anywhere between four or five clients. Uh, Some might be therapy, some may be career coaching, some may be um, other administrative tasks and in, in, in uh, owning a business, whether it's a podcast or writing an article, things like that. And then at the end of the day, I make sure that I get out because I, I'm working inside in front of a computer all the time. It's important for me to get out and then, you know, get some good food and good sleep and get to do it again. Do it all again. I'm listening to a book right now. It's called Stillness is the Key. And that's something that I don't have a lot of in my life is just that stillness where you're quiet and you're thinking about what your day, like you said, grounded, getting grounded in your day, just being silent, not having all of the distractions coming at you. What sort of advice can you give people that so they can incorporate more of that stillness into their lives? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I hear a lot from my clients, like, I don't have the time, or if I had more time, there's just not enough time, which I like to challenge a little bit. It's it's more of a scarcity mindset, because we all have the same amount of time, right? We all have 24 hours, seven days a week. I think it's about choosing to make that a priority 
to, you know, take 10 minutes to take a walk around the block or take five minutes to do a breathing app exercise, right? And so a lot of times we might blame it on, oh, I I don't have the time, but it may be more that we're either avoiding something that may bring up discomfort, right? Maybe I don't want to breathe because maybe I'm going to be thinking about something hard that happened, you know, as I'm still, sometimes it can bring up feelings and thoughts. So we can be very busy as a coping strategy, but there always is time if, if we really truly value it and make it a priority, right? A five minute breathing exercise. Everyone can find five minutes. I know I can find five minutes to, in, to scroll on my Instagram, uh, you know, right. or my social media. So yeah, I think it's being intentional. I think it's planning when you'll have those pockets of time and not uh, overriding them. A lot of times I'm working with clients and they say, well, you know, I, I blocked it on my calendar, but then someone took that slot and, you know, it's like, you've got to set good boundaries. You've got to advocate for yourself. You need to tell your partner what you need so that you can delegate and give responsibilities uh, to others. So there's a lot of um, intentionality, I think, that comes from it if you really want to create that space to be still. What advice do you have for somebody who's considering a career in therapy? Yeah, I would say to seek out the best education that you can get, uh, the best mentors. I think it was very helpful for me early on. I worked in a group practice so I could see how other, um, first of all, as a, as a business owner, how they ran it, but also to talk with other clinicians, to have peer supervision. I continue to do a monthly consultation call with someone who supervised me when I was actually in grad school many, many years ago. So continuing to, to work with others. And then I also recommend to find a therapist for yourself because it's so important to do your own work, again, to be able to move your clients even further. So I have worked with therapists, coaches, you know, throughout my career. And I think that's really important so that you don't have so much stuff coming up in your sessions. There's something called transference where the therapist or the coach can be triggered or right. And that's not useful information for the client to hear. That's something you would take to your own therapist or your own coach and work out. Um, So that own, that inner work is just going to make you a better resource and tool for your clients. Yes. I don't think I would be good at that kind of a job because I feel like I would take on too much of that, those problems and, and think, I have to solve this for them because I want to solve things. I don't, I don't think that I'm very good at just listening and then walking somebody through it. I, I'm better at saying, oh, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And coaching is a little bit more directive often, but yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I remember that my clients, you know, as long as they're safe, I, I'm not working with clients with really severe, significant mental health challenges where I would worry that they, for their own safety or someone else's safety, because that's, I think, a little bit different. Otherwise, I trust that clients are resourceful, that they're processing during the week, and that they're going to they're gonna solve their own problems. It's not for me to take on. I'm just holding the space for them to hear themselves talk out loud. And there's something powerful about being witnessed and, um, you know, to help re also reframe some of the stories of, oh, that was dumb for me to do. And I might reflect back, well, what, why is it dumb? I mean, it sounds like you did the best thing you knew how to do in the moment. And when they hear it in a different way, it's like, oh, 
I don't, I don't need to go to shame. I don't need to punish myself for this. And so also looking back at past experiences that maybe are just innocent misunderstandings that the brain was trying to serve you in some way and may, you know, created the story, but maybe it's something you can let go of. So, you know, I, I, I trust the process that clients will, will see the solutions to their own problems or issues, you know, as long as they show up, they're going to and do that inner work. They'll, they'll make those changes. I know that you do a lot of career coaching. What are the top three things that people are usually coming and and seeking help with? Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times people are just not sure what they want. At least that's Mm -hmm. what they say. They're not clear on, I don't know what my next job, what I want. I don't know. And I don't know how to figure it out. I'm overwhelmed. You know, maybe I've been applying to random things. So really I want to get clear. And I think that's such an important part of the process because before you even send out a, a, an application or go in an interview, you want to feel confident in your story to say, this is what I want. So I really start off when I'm working with someone in a coaching container to really do that exploration and discovery work to get clear on what is it that I want. And then you can go after it. Then you've got a target. And then we just do strategy work, right? Um, I think a lot of times people come to me, some people will see that I'm a therapist. I'm a licensed psychotherapist in the state of Maryland. So I provide therapy to clients who reside in Maryland. Coaching is, is worldwide. But a lot of times people see, I say, I see your background in therapy. I'm having some anxiety come up, moving towards a job. And I want to do some of that that work to move through it. And, and we'll decide, sometimes I have a coaching client who has an outside therapist and they're doing that kind of emotional processing work, or they may be having some anxiety and some limiting beliefs that are kind of making things sticky or stuck inside of them. Um, but I've got tools that will help them kind of do the mind body work to move them to, you know, the next stage and play with those edges that have felt difficult to, to move through. And a third um, sometimes it really is just strategy. You know, I, I know what I want. I've been mm-hmm. applying, but I'm not getting any traction. And so sometimes it really is teaching some of those skills around networking and, uh, you know, how to build relationships, how to tighten up your, your brand on your resume your LinkedIn, how to get really um, clear in storytelling and interviews. So sometimes it's, it's strategy. Um, so I see people coming in for, you know, they're at different stages of their process and getting clear on what they want. You talked a little bit earlier about the social anxiety. Do you think networking is a thing that really makes people the most anxious when you're talking to them? Like you've got to get out there and start talking to people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and we don't, as you said before our call today, we were chatting and we don't look for jobs all the time. And so this idea that you're going to deliberately reach out and build relationships. It's not always comfortable. I think a lot of people think it's weird. I let people know it's very normal to be networking. And and I really encourage people to be doing that throughout their career, not just when they're looking for a job, but to have conversations that build relationships, add that person to your LinkedIn. You'll have your network there. If you end up applying to their company, now you've got a contact that can then refer their application and companies typically start with internal referrals. So, you know, I find, you know, teaching people on how to find people on LinkedIn, they may want to do an informational interview with to first 
learn about a particular company or position, people are like, oh, I'm going to do that. And so we kind of do some of the inner work of what maybe some of the fears are, how to write the message. Um, as I think a lot of times people skip that step. And that is like one of the most important steps. Over 80% of jobs are found through networking. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So yes. it's so it's so crucial um, because of the application tracking systems that will weed resumes out. It's so crucial to also have someone who can push your resume to a person, to a decision maker. Right. You can't just take one path in searching for a job. You can't just do job boards or just do networking. It has to be this holistic approach of, you know, looking and, and letting people know that you are out there and you're available. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You help people through the common challenges in their career, but what kind of challenges have you had in your career? Yeah, such a good question. And I think I love doing this work so much because I've also experienced not knowing what I wanted to do or feeling lost or not having the tools. And you spend a lot of time at work and you want to enjoy a good part of your day. So, you know, I, uh, you know, my first jobs were not fun. You know, I worked, uh, while I was going to school, getting my master's, I worked in the registration office at Hopkins and, you know, had great colleagues, but the skills that I was using to, uh, you know, file ad drop forms were not my favorite moments, right? So I think a lot of it was, you know, also taking some jobs and things that would, would be a stepping stone to something else. So it was having patience and knowing that sometimes there were jobs or you know, even pro bono things I would do to build relationships and connections. I would say in starting my own business, I, I didn't know how to do that. Uh, so it was, it was, I was excited to learn, but it was challenging in the sense that I didn't know how to build a website. I didn't know how to, uh, you know, do my taxes for a business. And so there were a lot of learning curves, some mistakes along the way, but I knew I was hungry to figure it out. And, and then I started to learn how to also bring people on, you know, someone who could do my taxes or an accountant that could support me because I couldn't be a master of all things. I had to kind of stay in my lane. So I did a lot of Googling, a lot of YouTubes. I did a lot of training. That's the biggest thing that I think if I were to give uh, advice to anyone thinking about getting into this line of work is to continuously invest in yourself because as you grow yourself as a coach or as a therapist, as a business owner, there's always a return on investment. So I'm always doing training so that I can level myself up to then help my clients level up even further. So Caitlin, how do you see AI affecting the therapy industry? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, I see a lot more online platforms popping up that serve clients with, uh, you know, texting your therapist or maybe even texting with, you know, a chat bot that can at some point interpret some language and probably give you some feedback. You know, as far as just technology in general, there is a lot of resources and tools that I use in my business, whether it's a client platform for, you know, um, running payments, keeping notes, keeping a calendar. So there's a lot of uh, technology that is really valuable. As far as you know, AI replacing my work, I, I, I don't see that, foresee that in the near future because this work is so relational. Uh, there's something yes. that happens when you're 
sitting in a room with someone or even across a, a video screen and an, it's human to human interaction. I don't know that I feel really concerned about AI replacing my job, although there are, I think there will be ways that people can get more resources quicker, you know, even um, on some of the social media platforms that I'm on, there's AI that technology where, you know, if I post something and then I say, you know, comment career in the, in the chat part, it will automatically send them an article or a resource. So there's, there's um, things that are making it easier to disseminate information, which, you know, education is really powerful. Um, so I, I see people having greater access to um, resources, which is a wonderful thing. I agree with the chatbot part of it because there is something to talking to someone and them being able to read your body language, read what's going on with you, get to know you. The chatbots aren't going to call you out. They aren't going to ask the right questions at the right times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe it will just keep getting better. And, you know, maybe there's a good, better, best of support. And, you know, if more people can get support, that's great. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think that human interaction just isn't something that you can totally replace. What advice do you have for someone who is considering going to a therapist for the first time? Well, at first I would say you're brave and it's wonderful that you're reaching out because just even making that first call or sending that first email to see if working together, you know, working with someone as a fit takes some energy, it takes some effort and takes some courage. It can take a little while sometimes to find the right fit. So I, I always tell people, pay attention to how you feel when you're talking to someone on the phone. You know, do they ask you questions? Are they reflecting back what you're sharing? And then, you know, give it a first session, see how you feel. Maybe give it a couple. Always let people know that you're in control. And if it doesn't feel like a fit to keep going, that you deserve the support that you're looking for and, and that you can, you know, continue to search for a therapist or coach until you feel like it's a, it's a good fit. Um, so I think that's really important and to not, not give up until you find those resources. It can be helpful to ask friends who they've worked with or seen. Sometimes good recommendations come that way. But it's it's a process. And, and when you find a good fit, then you can settle in and really do the work, which is you know really impactful and life-changing. So I, I, I guess for anyone looking, I just say, keep looking. Um, you're doing great. First step is just reaching out. And um, yeah, you'll get there. And probably don't be afraid, like you said, to change it up if it's not working. How many sessions would you give it to say, all right, I'm not sure that we're on the right track here? Yeah, I say, you know, three or four can be a good way because obviously, you know, when someone goes into therapy for the first time or even working with a coach, it's like, you don't know the person, they don't know you. It takes some time to get a rhythm, to understand kind of the structure of, you know, maybe your 50 or 60 minute session, you know, to settle in. And then, you know, it it takes time to build uh, that safety and that, you know, connection with someone new. So you leave after the first time, it may not really be it may not really tell you if it is a good fit because it's also new, right? right? Um, right. But you know, you're always in control also of what you share. You get to decide how you know how it's paced. So just be open, ask questions, ask questions in a consultation call or clarity call, 
um, so that you feel uh, prepared to, uh, to go in and then yeah, see if it's a fit. If it's not, then search for someone else. We appreciate our featured guest for joining the Find Your Niche podcast. Now, more career advice and stories from your host, Laurie Cole. Here are three red flags you need to watch out for to avoid a job from hell. Number one, in the job ad, if the job sounds too good to be true, watch out because it probably is. The pay seems too high. The hours are too good. The benefits are out of this world. Be a little wary and proceed with caution. I once coached a candidate who called me in a panic because she was supposed to be starting a new job that morning and had not heard from the company. We did a little digging and discovered the entire thing was a scam. Not only did she quit her real job, but she had also given them all of the information they needed to steal her identity. The one thing she kept saying during the call was that she knew it was too good to be true. Number two, during the interview or after the interview, if you just don't have a good gut feeling about this job, and this could stem from the employer talking negatively about the company or the current or previous employees, maybe they've asked some illegal questions about how old you are, are you a U.S. citizen, are you pregnant, do you have kids, or maybe they pressured you to accept the job on the spot and started asking for your personal information. Or number three, after starting the job, sometimes you just don't know it's a job from hell until you are actually there from day to day. If you start to notice you're not being provided training, there is poor communication, a toxic work environment, or there's an excessive workload, it may be time to make an early exit. Is there something you need some guidance on in terms of your career? Email to laurie.cole at ihire.com. Thanks for listening.